Welcome to Data Skeptic. Data Skeptic brings you discussions about how data is changing our world. Our interviews are conversations with thought leaders in topics like data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. All right, Linda, happy 2018. Happy New Year. Any resolutions or anything? I don't make resolutions. Why not? I don't believe that January is the only time to make a resolution. That being said, I do like to look back on the year. Uh-huh. I'm going to start a new tradition in which I look back on the year and think about all the things that have changed or we accomplished. We completed year one in our new house mm-hmm. and really year one of running the LLC with you. So today we're going to talk about the agent model of artificial intelligence. So the term agent, if I ask you to put a definition to that, what would you say? It's someone who acts on behalf of themselves or someone else or right. something else. That's a great definition. For our discussion, I'm going to ask you to drop the or somebody else, like the lawyering kind of version of it, and just accept that an agent is an autonomous system that gets information from the world, makes decisions for themselves, and then takes actions. So this could be you and I. It could be uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, it could be person playing chess. Any agent is a person that takes actions in the world. That has decision-making available to them. Yeah. So let's talk about Mario then, maybe, as a good example. Uh, what are some of the actions Mario can do? So we're talking about the video game Mario. Yeah. and le- which, which Nintendo? Okay, let's make this easy then, because Mario does a lot of stuff. Let's talk about original Super NES, Super Mario Brothers 1. Very simple, very classic. Okay. So what were you saying? What are the actions Mario can take? Or Luigi, either way. Well, it depends on the world. Some of the worlds have different tools for them. Like what? Well, they could bonk their head on the question mark and something will pop out of it. They can always bonk their head. Well, there has to be a question mark there for them to bonk. True. All right, so you're along the right lines, but I'm going to make a slight correction. I would say Mario's actions are walk right, walk left, jump, run, and then combinations thereof, like run and jump to the right. Well, you forgot when he has the squirrel costume on. That's Mario 3. We're talking about Mario 1. And that's the Tanuki suit for her future reference. Nobody knows that it's called Tanuki. Well, I we do. just know it's called Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> the Squirrel phase of Mario. All right, but y- you're right. I did miss one. It's shoot a fireball. He can't do that in Mario. One. Oh, yes, yes. So there are all these actions. Mario can jump at any time, but whether or not he hits a question mark block depends on if there is a question mark block there and if he jumps high enough to hit it. So that question mark block is not part of Mario, right? It's part of the environment. The environment, like the weather. A little bit along those lines, yes. So everything that isn't an agent we would call part of the environment. And the environment has a state. And the state of the environment is every little variable that defines something about it. So in Mario, it would be like what level we're on, how far you know in the scroll to the right we've gotten, how much time is left, how many lives Mario has, how many points have occurred, whether or not the question mark block has been um, fulfilled, you know, turns to another color, like what its state is. All these variables have to be there. How long do you think it takes to write down the entire state of Mario? The state? As in the the environment? Yeah, all the details that specify everything about where the game is at. Where, when you say where the game is at, what does that mean? If you wanted to resume the game at exactly the same point, what would your save game have to contain? Mm, Well, what level you Uh were on. Yep. And then where in that level? Mm -hmm. Where was Mario standing? Mm Mm-hmm. And then within that screen, did Mario interact with any of those objects? And what state were those objects in? 
And then, yeah, that's it. Yeah, more generally, we might say uh, keep track of every single object in the game and what its own independent state is. As much as that list is pretty exhaustive, it would be hard for us to write everything down. Obviously, that's an older game. It didn't take up a lot of space. And you could get like a NES simulator and, you know, like a ROM, and you could take a snapshot of the game. When you do a snapshot in a ROM, it saves every little detail, every register and bit of memory in the Nintendo. So you have like a perfect copy of the working system. And that is actually the machine state that's running the Mario game. And then the Mario game is probably some little subset of that. But basically, a state is the set of all possible configurations of a game or of an environment or of whatever it is you're, you're looking at. Like the weather? <laughs> yeah, so the weather, if we talk about the real world, the real world has many, I mean, it's sort of like an infinite state almost in a way because there's so many variables. Like, is our stove on right now, yes or no? That's part of the state. What the weather is is part of the state what the barometric pressure is. You know, there's tons and tons of variables. So actually, you could never really capture the full state of the world in any, you know, implementation. But what you capture is all of the aspects of state that matter. If you're like doing navigation apps, something like that, you don't care if our stove is on and if you're a navigation app, but you do care if there's congestion on the 101 freeway. Well, you also care if there's raining because if it's raining, people drive slower in L.A. Yeah, so maybe, maybe the models that navigation apps use consider the weather in trying to forecast where traffic will be in the future. I don't know too much about that. Another good point here, the state will transition to a different state, usually on its own. Now, in a game like Mario, the state is transitioning on its own there too, like the counter is going down. But in a game like chess, you could say that the state doesn't change until someone takes an action. So let's talk about chess and then come back to the real world. What do you think the state of chess is? Well, it's the board. If the players have a timer, it's the state of the time. Good point. And then where all the positions, the pieces are on the board. And one extra little detail, whose turn it is. Let's set aside the timer, even though you make a good point that many games are played with a timer. To keep it simple, let's say players have no timer. So you could like make a save game that just records all that, and it really doesn't matter all the moves that came before. You know the current state of the game. And you also know, perfectly know the state of the game. There's nothing you can't observe. That's not true, right? Like if a game is halfway through and some of the players have been, I just call them eaten by other players. What does eaten mean? Like you took it off the board. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can see visually that that player is not there, but maybe you don't remember how or who ate that player. Yeah, okay. Actually, this is an interesting point, and it takes us in two directions. First and foremost, when it comes to state, your point isn't all that important, because regardless of when and how a piece was taken, that doesn't necessarily affect the outcome of the game. All that matters is the current state of chess. You know, in other words, if I get you into checkmate, I win the game. It doesn't matter if you captured my rook in round three or round six, I still win. Well, I think in one hand that could be true, but what if it was a psychological play? Like if you ate the rook early on, maybe you demolished that person's confidence or something. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, so that is the other direction to take your comment in, and it's the sort of internal thoughts of an agent. So in pretty much all the literature on AI, I know I'm sure there's at least one paper out there that contradicts this, but for the most part and for everything we'll discuss on this show, when we think of an agent, we think of them as having private information. So everything in our brains, we don't share or other agents can't see it, at least not directly. 
Like maybe if an agent is being, you know, low self-confidence or like worried, they could be sweating and be nervous. You might observe things about them like the sweat and inference that they are nervous. But it could also be that they have a fever and that caused the sweat. You know, you don't really, really know. Now you can make an assessment, but you don't perfectly, you can't perfectly observe the state of their mind. They have private information. Well, I also think people don't always know what's going on in their mind either. Hmm. <laughs> Data skeptic listeners, I want to tell you about the Mendoza College of Business at the University of Notre Dame. They have a 12-month program in which you can earn a Master's of Science in Business Analytics. The schedule is very compatible with the busy lifestyle of a working professional. On-site courses are conducted on their Michigan Avenue campus in downtown Chicago. Get your Master's of Science in Business Analytics and join an extremely engaged and prestigious alumni group. First step is to visit mendoza.nd.edu slash dataskeptic. There you'll learn about their award-winning faculty. Get details on this program and learn how to apply. If your career needs a little kickstart, see if the Mendoza College of Business is right for you. Find out at mendoza.nd.edu. Well, I also think people don't always know what's going on in their mind either. Mm. <laughs> so there's that question mark. Of course, you can't observe their mind when they themselves cannot observe themselves clearly. Okay, so I got an answer for this. And it's not a complete answer. Uh, actually, two answers. An agent takes in observations from the world, right? So Mario, you can see the game screen you're on, or a player in chess can observe the whole board, or you and I, if we want to drive somewhere, we can check our nav apps or look out the window or do anything we want to do to get information. And then internally, we process that. We have some decision-making thing that goes on, and we decide what we're going to do, and that's our plan. And then we execute the plan by taking actions. Now, do you think if you have a plan and you execute it, does it always go according to plan? Well, as a project manager, no. <laughs> but you are more likely to get there or close to your vision okay. than if you did not make a plan. I agree with that. And I'm glad you see the underlying point that even once you have a plan, it doesn't mean you execute it perfectly. You hopefully reason out that the best action for you to take is you know, a certain action, like move this chess piece to a new location. And you can execute that hoping it's the best, but it might not be. Or maybe it is. If agents were perfectly rational and had infinite resources, they ought to always come to the most optimal decision. And actually, there's a little bit of a footnote we can put on that related to complexity theory. But let's leave that to the side and say that if you had enough time to think about stuff, you ought to have the best answer or best choice in every game or even in real life, like what to invest in, that kind of stuff. But of course, we don't always make the best decision. And two reasons for that are bounded rationality which means we actually can't reason enough. We don't have maybe enough time or enough resources to process all the information we have. And the other would be what's called the trembling hand. So we might have a pretty good idea about what choices are optimal and we'll tend to pick the best one very often. But sometimes we pick the second best one and with even less probability, we might pick the third best one and stuff like that. So that's a modeling technique for modeling an agent that doesn't always behave perfectly rationally. So you're talking about those people who are just destined for failure. I don't know who <laughs> you're thinking about. I don't know. I'm just saying they're out there. <laughs> so are those the irrational agents? Might be. Uh, yeah, maybe they have bounded rationality. Or maybe they have the trembling hand, um, you know, where they can't always consistently pick the optimal solution. But I'll give you two other options. They might be optimizing for a different reward function. 
meaning like they value something other than what you and I value? Well, I think that's what I concluded about my friend. Uh -huh. I have a friend and whatever decision they make, I get really stressed <laughs> no. because it's not a decision I would make, but uh -huh. I decided they are motivated by something different. That's one option. The other option is their decisions could have been rational and optimal given the information they had if they've only ever received bad information. Oh, well, that, that probably plays a role into it, too, uh -huh. because I think some of their person's information, they have a different perspective than me. In order to talk about intelligence or artificial general intelligence, we have to have a framework for what intelligence looks like. And almost everyone in AI pretty much agrees that this agent model is the best way to do it. So in the agent model, there's two important things. There are agents and the environment. Agents we've kind of discussed. There can be many of them, especially in you know, multi-agent systems problems. And then there's the environment. So the environment, as we announced, has a state. And that state is not always fully observable. In chess, you can see all the pieces. You can ask whose turn it is. So you can fully observe the state. But this process I'm trying to describe is we get imperfect observations. We have to update our beliefs about the world with those. And then given our beliefs about the world and what actions we can take, we have to pick what to do. So let's go back to a game like Mario. If you see a fireball coming at you or a bullet bill coming at you, what do you want to do? What's a bullet bill? It's those bullets that shoot across the screen. What, what level is that? Um, they, fr they tend to appear in like the uh, castle levels in the original Mario. Oh, the bullet. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know what it was called. Yeah, it's a bullet bill. Okay, so what was your question? What do you do if you're playing Mario and a bullet bill is flying directly at you, what's your action? Well, you gotta get out of the way. There's no get out of the way button, Linda. Well, it depends. Usually it's shooting at you when you're... Run, like, jump, punch, what are you gonna there's do? There's multiple levels, so sometimes you could drop down. Oh, sure, yeah. So you could move or jump, basically. Well, you could jump. Depends where you are, again. So then what you do, yeah, is you look at the state, what you believe the state of the environment to be, you make some predictions about where that bullet's headed. You think it's going to hit you, and you decide the optimal action is, well, it depends on where you are. Maybe it's to jump over it. Maybe it's to drop down to a lower level, something like that. But you come up with a plan, and you execute that plan by taking actions, which they themselves are probabilistic in the environment. It doesn't mean you'll perfectly get the results you want, but your action uh, does can have some change on the environment. So as agents, we have imperfect observation functions and imperfect actuators where we can take actions against the world, but we can't perfectly know how they'll change the state of the world. So what do you think about this framework? Well, what is the framework? That we have the state and we have agents in the state. The agents have imperfect observation functions. They do something internally to decide what action they want to take, and then they take the action, and the action can probabilistically change the state. Why do you say probabilistically change the state? How do you know? Well, because in some scenarios, you don't know what's going to happen. So like in chess, there is no probability. If you can make a legal move, it just happens. It's not like you roll a dice and then decide if you can take that move or not. But there could be some other game where... You say, oh, I want to move ahead five spaces. And before you can do that, you have to like roll a dice and roll a five. So when you say, I want to move ahead five spaces, and then the roll happens, you may or may not get to move that, you know, so it's, it's uncertain. Or similarly, like, you know, we could go to an auction. We could say, I will offer however much money for an item. And we don't know whether or not that action will result in the 
auction being awarded to us or not. So then what's your question? Do you think this framework is general enough to describe pretty much any situation that requires intelligence? I don't know. I haven't thought that deeply about it. What do you think? Well, I would say absolutely. In fact, it, it, it can describe many situations that don't require much intelligence at all, but thinking in this way is, in my opinion, very general, and most of AI is kind of framed in the context of the agent model. So I wanted to discuss it with you and a couple of little finer points about what's probabilistic and what's an agent and what have you. Well, sounds like game theory. No, no, we haven't touched on equilibria yet. We will get to that as well, though, in the next couple months. Okay, well, game theory, you'll tell me. Yeah, we'll get into that in a couple more sessions. We've got some preliminary things to do. We need to definitely hit on reinforcement learning before we get to game theory, but we will get to it. All right, well, between now and then, please remember to keep thinking skeptically of and with data. Good night, Linda. Happy New Year, Kyle. Data Skeptic is a listener-supported program. To support the show, visit dataskeptic.com and click on the membership tab.